This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss how to support your immunity with registered holistic nutritionist, Kristen Shiner. We'll learn how to cope with stress over the holidays with author, Dr. Christine Gibson. We'll find out about the state of mental health in Ontario with researcher, Dr. Sylvain Roy. And lastly, we'll discover sound healing with healer, Alex Petriyama. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. You're sitting quietly and suddenly your brain tunes out the world and wanders to something else entirely. Perhaps a recent experience or an old memory. You just had a daydream. Yet despite the ubiquity of the experience, what's happening in the brain while daydreaming is a question that's largely eluded neuroscientists. Now, a study in mice published recently in Nature has brought a team led by researchers at Harvard Medical School one step closer to figuring it out. The researchers tracked the activity of neurons in the visual cortex of the brains of mice while the animals remained in a quiet waking state. They found that occasionally these neurons fired in a pattern similar to one that occurred when a mouse looked at an actual image, suggesting that the mouse was thinking or daydreaming about the image. Moreover, the patterns of activity during the mouse's first few daydreams of the day predicted how the brain's response to the image would change over time. The research provides tantalizing, if preliminary, evidence that daydreams can shape the brain's future response to what it sees. I'll be joined by Kirsten Shiner in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. A lot has changed in 15 years. For us, the things that matter stay the same. Things like being proudly Canadian and family-owned with heart, doing what's right rather than what's convenient, and an unwavering commitment to support all Canadians with safe, high-quality, reliable natural health products. A lot has changed in 15 years, but Camprev's mission to inspire a preventative approach to health and wellness remains more relevant than ever. Put your health back in your hands at Camprev.ca. Kirsten Shiner is a registered holistic nutritionist who loves helping people improve their health using simple, natural strategies. She's coached individuals, families, and businesses to improve their energy, mood, and immune systems through food, lifestyle choices, and natural products. And she lives north of Toronto with her two dogs. Welcome to the show, Kristen. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. So this time of year, you know, everybody's feeling maybe a little less than all they could be. You know, it's it's the time of year where we discuss uh, our immunity, cold and flu. So, making support of a big topic these days. Let, let let's let's talk about why it's important to support our immune system. Yeah. So, I find there's sometimes some confusion around like what the immune system even is, and it's really just another system in our body, just like we have a cardiovascular system or we have a digestive system. There's a whole bunch of different tissues and organs that are all working together 
to try and keep us healthy and protect us from all of the germs and viruses and things that we naturally come into contact with. And so the more that we can support that, the less likely we are to get sick or to get very sick. And there's a lot of different factors that can influence how well or not so well our immune system is working. You know, it could be just nutritional deficiencies or different lifestyle habits. It could be the level of stress that we're under, how much rest we are or are not getting. Um, Even just, you know, age, just as we go through life, like a lot of things, our immune system stops working as well as it once did. And so there are absolutely things that we can do to naturally support and give it a little bit of extra love and a boost. It's especially this time of year when we're all inside, maybe a little bit extra stressed out with the holiday vibes and eating differently than we typically would. And so it's it's certainly an area of our bodies that we want to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because not everybody thinks that you can actually help your immune system. I think there are people that believe there's really nothing you can do. You're either going to get sick or you're not going to get sick. My experience is quite the contrary. So it's good that it's good that we're covering this. So we know, we all kind of know, we we know our bodies. There are telltale signs that, you know, we're coming down with something. For me, I get headaches and maybe a little scratchy throat. And then maybe we're coughing and there's a runny nose and congestion. And then, you know, things are really looking rough. We probably have a fever. From your perspective, which is as a holistic nutritionist, is there anything that we can do to shorten the symptoms of a cold or flu? Yeah, and I'm so glad that you phrased it that way because you're absolutely right. There's no magic bullet that we can do that will ensure we never get sick again. But from a natural perspective, there are a lot of awesome tools that we have to help reduce the amount of times we get sick, to reduce the severity of symptoms and to also shorten that duration, which can be a real blessing when you're kind of in the thick of it. For sure. And so one of the things that I like to recommend is to just as much as possible stay in tune with yourself. And when your body starts to give you those very first nudges that maybe you're feeling run down the throat's starting to get a little scratchy or the head's just starting to get a little achy, that that's the time that natural interventions can really shine. Because when we take action quickly and right at those first signs, that's when we can have a big influence on reducing the severity or shortening up the duration of those symptoms. So what are some of the things that we can do then? There's a bunch of different approaches, certainly from a a food approach, which is where I like to start as a nutritionist, is we want to put some focus on those brightly colored fruits and veggies, because those are really high in vitamins that our immune system is going to use to bolster itself, but also in a a plant compound called phytonutrients. And so those are really powerful chemicals that our immune system uses to function at its best. And so the more brightly colored the fruits or veggies are and the more variety that we can get, we're offering our immune system a whole bunch of different tools that it can use to work really well. Even this time of year when we may be getting into some more sweets and and foods that we don't necessarily eat all through the season, if we can focus on some fresh, brightly colored fruits and veggies, that's going to go a long way. The other thing that I find people don't realize is that Over 70% of our immune system, so the vast majority of our immune system, lives in our gut. Yep. 
And so the more we can support really great digestion and a healthy gut, the more we're going to be supporting our immunity. And so what that looks like is probiotic-rich foods, those really good bacteria that are going to support our immunity. And we're getting those naturally from anything that's fermented. So if you like yogurt or kefir, if you're a kombucha drinker, if you like sauerkraut or kimchi, that spicy uh, fermented cabbage, like those are all amazing sources. Probiotic-rich foods, which are going to feed the good bacteria in our gut, which are going to support our immune system. And then the last tip, which makes me a little bit less popular, (laughs) is to watch your sugar intake because sugar definitely puts a strain on our immune system. It competes with vitamin C for absorption. So even if you're eating those you know, brightly colored fruits and veggies, if you're also consuming a lot of sugar at the same time, then they're going to be competing with each other and your body's not necessarily going to get the full benefit of all of that good stuff that you're eating. Sugar is also really inflammatory. It kind of triggers all those aches and pains in this inflammatory state in our body, which makes it harder for our immune system to work really well. Right. And and just to clarify, when you're talking about sugars, you're talking about foods that you're adding sugar to. So like easy ones would be putting sugar in your coffee, for example, or, you know, if you're baking, putting sugar in that kind of stuff or adding sugar to cereal and stuff like that, like that's the lowest hanging fruit, isn't it? You got it. All that kind of refined white sugar that, that we add in, you, you absolutely nailed it. What about from a lifestyle perspective? Let, let's look beyond what we're ingesting. What else can we do? So movement is huge. And when I say, you know, sometimes people think exercise and they're like, oh, I'm just not really up for like, you know, a really intense workout. But we know that any kind of regular movement, even getting outside for a short 10 minute walk can have a really positive influence on our immune function. The other huge one that often gets overlooked is rest. Our body goes into a major state of repair and recovery when we sleep. And so sometimes it's not about doing more, but really doing less, you know, that can have a huge positive influence on our ability to just stay well and recover better. And stress management as much as possible. I know it's not realistic for us to not experience stress, but if there's anything that we can be doing and have some tools in our toolbox that we know is really going to be reliable ways that we can just ground ourselves and help ourselves feel more calm, then again, we're just setting the stage for our own natural immunity to work better for us. So I used to weigh 242 pounds. This is sort of my origin story that my listeners are probably sick of hearing about. And I lost 52 pounds when I was in my late 30s. And before I lost the weight, I would have maybe three or four cold and flu a year. Um, After I lost the weight, maybe I'd get sick once a year. And when I got sick, it never lasted as long as it did before. And my perspective is that the exercise is probably the most crucial part because it deals, it helps me cope personally with stress, number one, and it also helps me sleep. And I think they're all interrelated. So, I mean, you went off the top with lifestyle choices, exercise, like I I can't emphasize that enough. Even if it's just to go out for a walk, doing something rather than nothing is is a huge benefit, I think. I fully agree with you, could not agree more. There's so many side benefits to just getting yourself moving. And I think sometimes we can talk ourselves out of it because we set these 
really big overwhelming targets for ourselves that don't always feel attainable but just to do something rather than nothing i love that is going to have so many positive um, benefits on your ability to rest better sleep oxygenate your system de-stress get the blood flowing get all of those good nutrients to the places that we want them and get all of the byproducts that we want to eliminate from our body moving and detoxifying it's it's just one of the best things that we can do for ourselves and our immune system. And, and it could be simple. Like off the top, you have two dogs, which I'm sure means you're dog walking, right? So I'm walking. You bet. I'm walking two or three times a day, and I've got an uh, like a half Aussie, an Aussie Doodle, and they're high energy dogs. So just getting outside with my dog, you know, there's there's a 45 minute to an hour walk in the morning every single day, leaving aside the other walks. What about you? Are you a dog walker? You bet. It's one of the. One of, I think, the best benefits of having them, aside from, you know, just also the companionship and the stress relief from that perspective, but the fact that every day, no matter what, they get me outside and my ability to just appreciate the seasons, to appreciate whatever's happening in life, in the weather, to be in the moment, to move, uh, it's almost like a walking meditation and the benefits you know, certainly physically from just getting myself moving and building that habit and also the the time to mentally decompress and de-stress has been hugely beneficial. Yeah, I often work out problems like like I, I can sort of like she's one of those dogs that tends to lead as opposed to follow. So like <laughs> she's pulling me along. I actually wrote a haiku about it where like she's pulling me along and it allows my mind to drift and, and, and it's in those moments that I create and solve problems. So like from a, from a mental health perspective, I think it, it, it's huge as well. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about supplements for a bit. Is there, is there anything that we can take that might help us with uh, immunity? Absolutely. And I like to break this category down again into that sort of proactive, preventive, and then reactive when we feel like something's starting to settle in. So us being in Canada, there is no way from the fall and through the winter and even into the early spring, that we're able to produce our own vitamin D from sun exposure. The sun's rays are just too weak in this part of, you know, these latitudes. And so we have to get our vitamin D from supplement. It's also next to impossible to get enough from food alone. And so this is just one of those nutrients that is massively important for the proper functioning of your immune system. And you have to supplement And so that's just what part of my fall and winter routine. I saw a huge difference in the number of colds and flus that I got when I started regularly incorporating a vitamin D supplement every day. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I really highly recommend for everyone. Zinc is a great mineral that is also very supportive and very crucial for the proper functioning of your immune system. So that's a great one that you can incorporate Vitamin C, of course, we all know about that one. And magnesium, which is a little bit less thought of in the realm of immune support, but because it plays such a huge role in helping us manage our stress response and also getting better sleep, I find that it can just be very beneficial for that overall immune picture. And so those would be the things that I would recommend to look at for like day-to-day habitual prevention and to be proactive, 
And then if you do feel like something is starting to settle in, there are some awesome herbs that you can take. And these are ones that I recommend. Again, you're taking them short term when you feel like something's coming on or you want to shorten the duration or the severity of your symptoms. You wouldn't stay on these for like the entire season. But elderberry is one of my favorites. Um, it's actually one of those herbs that tastes good and it works. So, <laughs> well, that's a plus. You can, yeah. you can get that in a liquid, like or a capsule, but it actually is kind of yummy. Echinacea, of course, we all know about, and oil of oregano. Those are oh. super powerful and they work great, but less good tasting. Yep. <laughs> and medicinal mushrooms is also a class of immune system modulators, and so what they do is they help your immune system function optimally so they're not going to overstimulate it but if it's a little bit sluggish and struggling this is a great um, class of supplement to look at for anyone who also has an autoimmune condition and they don't want to necessarily rev up their immune system but they need a little bit of extra love and support mushrooms like reishi or turkey tail those are fairly common and um, chaga is another great one and they're they're really, really helpful for the immune system. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for the great chat. That was Kirsten Shiner. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to have a stress-free holiday on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Christine Gibson is a family physician, trauma therapist, and author of the Modern Trauma Toolkit. She's also on social media as TikTok Trauma Doc with over 130,000 followers. She has a master's in medical education and is halfway through a doctorate and is involved in academics and education, creating Calgary's Fellowship in Health Equity. She runs an international nonprofit global family med foundation, a cooperative, and a new company to train professionals on how to manage workplace trauma safer spaces training and if you're interested you can reach her on her website christinegibson.net welcome back to the show doctor how are you i'm great thanks um how are you doing jamie well we host new year's eve every single year and i'm proud to say that you know even though my kids are all adults they hang out with us on new year's eve and have like we've we've had new year's eve with our kids and their partners or whatever 
for like years and years and years. But there's a lot of stress involved over the holidays and just organizing stuff like this. So I thought, you know, we should discuss a little bit about holiday stress. Sound like a plan? Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. I, I'm noticing a lot more stress in the folks I work with too. Why why are the holidays so stressful for so many of us? Well, I mean, your family is amazing in that your adult children are choosing to spend time with you. But I mean, I think there's that um, torn experience. Like, there's either people who are thrilled to spend time with their family and they can't wait and they haven't seen them and they're just so excited. But then there's a lot of people who feel ambivalent and some of it's fun and some of it's not so fun when they're spending time with family. And then others are estranged and they're lonely and they don't have folks to spend holidays with. So like those last two scenarios are pretty common. And I, I think um, that pressure cooker of relationships can be pretty intense. Yeah. You know, there's sometimes there's unresolved issues, right? Like there's like long simmering issues that like are unspoken, but sometimes come to a head if everybody's thrust together. I I think that's a part of it. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And then you might throw a little bit of alcohol with your eggnog. You might even add like some food issues. Um, People show up at the shortest uh, daylight times of the year. And then, you know, you kind of get everyone's stuff coming together at once and it can be pretty intense especially if it's a large gathering so so what are some of the specific issues that that tend to come up this time of year um you know the main one that i see jamie is loneliness i i would say that's the number one uh stressor for folks that i that i work with and um you can be lonely in a crowd too so like not necessarily feeling seen not necessarily feeling accepted that can make a person feel existentially lonely even when they're in a group of people so there's some folks who just don't have a place to call home these days and then there's others that are just not comfortable either within their own selves and where they're at you know there's a lot of existential issues with being the end of the year um and then there's people who aren't comfortable in their you know biological family spaces so i would say that's probably the the main thing that i'm seeing right now all right so we've identified what may be lurking out there what are some of the things that we can do to to mitigate against you know feeling alone or or are having some of these issues I think the first thing is just getting really good at checking in with yourself. I think in today's world, especially around the holidays, things are so busy. Um, there's the financial pressures, trying to get guests for, you know, the people there's where there's expectations. Um, and this just kind of getting off the hamster wheel. Or if you're preparing uh, for however many guests for New Year's or other holiday celebrations, that can be like an ongoing hamster wheel. So just checking in with yourself and like, how am I? You know, am I stuck in fight and flight trying to get everything done? Am I feeling like this tension, this restlessness? Um, or am I dissociated because I'm just so upset with where things are at or somewhere in between on that spectrum? And just really getting to know your own signals around where you're at because then you'll get better at knowing, well, what's the thing I need to do now? And it's like, I mean, self-care is such a a cliche phrase at this point, but I yeah. really do think it boils down to that. It boils down to like knowing where you're at and then figuring out what works for you d- depending on what you've noticed. You know, uh, we, we don't have a lot of it in our family, but you know, there, there are sort of like traditions that come up this time of year, right? Like things that your family did ergo you feel compelled to do them, but they don't necessarily work 
you know, in the same way that they used to. Your kids get older or the ideas are cliched or it's just in the post-COVID world, it's, it's too hard to execute or too expensive to execute. And I yeah. think part of the self-care is just kind of saying to yourself, okay, so wh- which which of these things can we move on from and, and which should we maintain because they still mean something to us and we can still do them with joy? I, does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, what's working, what's not working. And yeah. I, we feel like we're kind of stuck in these patterns. And right. I, I think one of the most amazing things about humans is we're, we're growers. Like, we're constantly learning. It's why I always talk about instead of let's focus on the trauma and the stress and the, you know, the angst that everyone's feeling, let's focus on what is growing and changing. And I always focus on nurturing our way to that. Like, let's not pressure ourselves, but just let's be really curious. Let's look at what the possibilities are. And it's just such a more generative way to think than to think, oh, this is stuck and this is stuck. Just notice what's changing because there's tons that we are letting go of constantly or just shifting our perspective and reframing it. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are sort of the macro issues that we're dealing with. Like, how are we going, what are we going to do? But then the other part of the equation is who are we going to do them with? And I think part of the stress is perhaps you're thrust into a situation, you know, you can pick your friends, you can't choose your family necessarily. And sometimes family members can sort of trigger stuff with their behavior. So how do we navigate people sort of crossing boundaries and, and, and how do we deal with that personally? Mm-hmm. It's such a big question. Lots of folks get triggered at this time of year. So, I mean, firstly, do you need to spend time with family versus chosen family? And can you be boundaried around what you're wanting? So, right. like, maybe just say, like, okay, I'm going to pop in for two hours, but I've got some other commitments. Don't make it like I can always spend two hours with you. But maybe that's how you feel. Right. Um, so, so, you can actually place these time boundaries around where you want to be. So, that's sometimes possible. Other kinds of boundaries that can can show up is just noticing where those triggers are and avoid when you feel like they're possible. So for example, if you're trying to maintain a sober life, like there's been some issues with a substance in the past, just saying to family, hey, could we could we do a, a sober night together? That would be really important to me. And many families would agree to that. So that would be kind of a physical boundary. And then there might be a psychological boundary. Like right now, politics are really hard. You know, what's happening in the world is really hard. And there's a lot of divisive topics. So even just agreeing as a family, like these are things that we probably don't need to talk about over the holiday season. Um, So those kinds of boundaries might be possible. And the boundary isn't the agreement because you can't hold another person to the agreement. The boundary is well, what do I do if that agreement is broken? So having an actual plan and like whether it's, you know, I'm going to spend some time with the kids playing PlayStation or Nintendo or whatever they're playing these days or like physically leaving and distancing yourself from it. So you have to kind of figure out what your boundary would look like if those scenarios do show up. But negotiating them and just trying to keep it as light and comfortable for everybody as possible, I think is not a bad idea. Other than sort of taking ourselves out of the immediate situation, or do you have any other tips for sort of calming ourselves if we find, you know, in the moment we're just getting stressed or upset, some of these cues have been triggered and it's already happening, so what do we do? This is my day-to-day life. (laughs) And I mean, we all need these skills. I wish they taught them in school, but just ways to notice the emotions and physical sensations that you're having, because Emotions are an interpretation, they're a perception of the physical signals. And that's 
socially conditioned. So we, our culture makes a difference as to what it is that we're experiencing, but it also has so much to do with our past. So, so part of us is like the self that's living the emotion, the self that's having the pounding heart, the upset stomach, the things that are creating that perception of emotion. And part of us has that possibility to be the observer, to say like, oh, that's super interesting. I'm really curious. This emotion is showing up. I wonder where that's coming from, what past experiences that could be relating to. And the more that you can take an observer neutral stance, as well as being the one having the experience. So kind of going back and forth, we sometimes call that pendulating. You can approach it with a bit more curiosity than to be like just the one stuck in those big emotions. And then when they do get big, there's so many ways to dial them down. And I, you and I have mentioned, I, I love body-based nervous system, vagus nerve type yeah. um, ways. Cause there, there's a lot though. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I, you know, I have a temper and sometimes like I can see, I, I wouldn't say it's like an out of body experience, but I'm actually noticing like, what is the purpose of the tantrum that I am throwing right now. Like, why am I raging at this person right now? Maybe their behavior has been really bad. Maybe they deserve it. But, you know, this, what I'm doing right now is on me. Why am I doing it? You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean we all, we all have ways that we respond that aren't the way we want to show up. And a lot of times sure. those are our younger selves trying to say, Hey, like I'm uncomfortable. And so this is a way that we protect ourselves. So anger is, generally protective and it's not always necessarily going to get you what you want but it's a way that you've learned to protect yourself um so i think that curiosity can say well what else could protect me in this moment what else is available to me um and just notice that there might be some flexibility there sure like making a joke or if you're hosting, retreating into the kitchen to do dishes, so that you know you don't. There isn't. A, there isn't. There isn't a confrontation. Those. Those are. Those are two go-to's for me. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want to ignore the fact that you're yeah. having emotions. I think a lot of us, like we put on these people-pleasing, fawning um, ways of protecting ourselves, and then you never really get your needs met because you're not being authentic with yourself, even. Yeah. So there's something in the middle, right? There's yeah. a way to learn how to express your emotion and get your needs met and be authentic. And, you know, look after yourself, look for that love and connection and acceptance. And, you know, what we are all looking for as humans in different ways. So I think holidays could be a time to be experimental. If, if the patterns that the family has fallen into hasn't worked, what new patterns could you introduce? Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, no problem. Great to be here. That was Dr. Christine Gibson. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss mental health in Ontario on The Tonic. Attention men over 50. Do you search for restrooms everywhere you go? Wake up several times at night just to go pee again? Are symptoms of a benign and large prostate taking over? Prostate Perform helps reduce the urgency and frequency of pesky pit stops in as little as 7 to 10 days. Available exclusively through natural health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always follow label directions. What if there was a place that promised you leave better than when you came? Where the sunshine never stops, the sleep is exceptional, and the food is the best you've ever had. What if you felt the years come off? That's what guests say about visiting the Cretan Dream Resort and Spa. With flights to Athens, Greece direct and available through Air Canada, you'll be glad you booked. Find special pricing directly on CretanDreamResort.gr. Hurry and book before it sells out. Find out why the Greeks love the island of Crete. Welcome back to The Tonic. 
your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Sylvain Roy is a distinguished neuropsychologist and former president of the Ontario Psychological Association, renowned for his leadership in mental health care. He's currently serving at the Inner City Family Health Team and as director of strategic initiatives at Strata Health Solution. He passionately drives initiatives like askforhelptoday.ca, connecting Ontarians with tailored psychological support based on individual needs and preferences. Dr. Roy's unwavering commitment continues to reshape and improve the accessibility of mental health services across Ontario. Welcome to the show, Dr. Roy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So as I understand it, the Ontario Psychologists Association launched a project starting in back in January of 21. Can you tell us what that project was and what its purpose was? Absolutely. The program, uh, you've already named it, askforhelptoday.ca, which is a link you go to to find the resources, really aimed to enhance access to mental health services across the province. It addresses the challenge of uh, navigating mental health resources by offering a user-friendly platform, caters to individual needs and preferences, uh, which simplifies the process of finding appropriate psychological support. And to, you know, its primary aim is really to reduce barriers uh, that are often hindering individuals from accessing the mental health care they Okay, so, uh, you know, respectfully, because I get this all the time, because we have listeners who don't have computer access. So I presume, Mm -hmm. like, it's really handy if you have a computer, but still difficult if you don't, because, you know, I'm thinking of people that are displaced or maybe they have a greater need for mental health assistance. Yeah, I know that you're absolutely correct. And this is why we work so hard at integrating the services in other platforms and services like primary care. Uh, we know, um, you know, patients in need, you know, they see their family docs, they see their nurse practitioner. And so we want to make sure that the services are also accessible differently and through physicians, for example. So if they see somebody with a brain injury, if they see a child with learning disabilities, they can initiate the referral on behalf of the patient. And that way, um, you know, then we connect with uh, through phone after that. So there are multiple ways to access the services. Um, but, you know, clients can self-refer and families can refer their children directly to us as well. So we, there's multiple ways to access the, the, the care here. So, so with the website, askforhelptoday.ca, is it a resource, an informational resource, or does it function as a bridge to getting actual help? Or both. It's the bridge. It's really the bridge. It's a, it's a simple form that people go to, um, and you know, we have to often collect a little bit of information because we want to make a match. But essentially, people go there, and there's real people behind the website where um, you know they're going to look at the profile, what what's being asked of them, and then there'll be an actual matching process to real clinicians on the other side to make sure there's you know that that connection to care. Okay, so I, I gather that, you know, as a result of starting this project in 21, there's some data that you've collected that sort of aids in your process. So can, can you tell me a little bit about some of the information that's been collected and, oh, and what it absolutely. means? absolutely. Yeah, and, and that was a game changer for associations because even before 2021, uh, there was no real way for us to know uh, what the need is, what should we focus on, where are the gaps, and, and when we actually, you know, dove into the digital, you know, this digital revolution or health world, um, you know, data started to, to creep up, and we could actually see where the demand is and what kind of services are being sought, um, the, you know, and things like 
things we've noticed, like there's a persistent increase in need, for example, and you know, the demand for mental health services continues to rise year after year, and varying demographics uh, are experiencing higher requests annually, and recent trends, for example, show a significant rise in requests from seniors, and last year, we had so, you know, noticed a notable surge in children and youth seeking assistance. So these are things that are coming up and really opening up our eyes about, you know, who's calling, who's asking for help, where are they, and, you know, are there places in Ontario that has greater demand than others? So all this information is really, you know, uh, reshaping how we, um, you know, how we match people, how we find the services, how we allocate resources. Uh, but it's also highlighting, um, you know, critical issues like our, our workforce capacity. With this need continuing increasing, uh, we don't have an infinite number of psychologists and other clinicians in the province to meet that need. So it helps us, you know, gain that insight that we can pass on to government and say, hey, this is the need, this is what we need to actually meet the need, and this is what we will need in the future. So, you know, since 2021, the, the, the different things we've learned is so eye-opening, um, and it's helping us reshape uh, everything we're doing from training all the way to service delivery. So I imagine this program has helped uh, overcome a fair bit of siloing of information, which seems to, yeah. be, a, seems to be an issue for, for a lot of people, collecting data, like, like just being able to, to get that broad-based approach and, and sort of bridge the gaps that may have been overlooked uh, without the digital uh, tools. Well, yeah, people in the past, you, you'd go to a website, right, and you'd look down the list, oh, there might be 100 psychologists, but you never know their wait times, you never know anything about them. Right. You don't really even know if they offer, if they have availability or if they offer the service you're looking for. Uh, so here is a one place where, you know, they can ask all the questions they need to ask, and it, and it gets, you know, pushed through to a, the, uh, you know, a broad list of you know, clinicians in our network, right? So we do all that heavy lifting to, you know, to facilitate that connection. Um, so absolutely, like it's, it's transforming the way we do things. So you, you mentioned a moment ago that there were some key findings where, where the needs are greater in certain areas. And I think you mentioned demographically, but also geographically yeah. too, right? What, what, are some yeah. of, what are some of the key results that came, that came out of this? Yeah, like when I when we started gathering the data, we always assumed like place like Northern Ontario would have greater need, and there's a reason to believe that. And I think the need is great. But when we look at a need by um, you know uh, by per capita, for example, you know Toronto, you know uh, it gets on the list because it's so massive, and there's a lot of people in Toronto and so on. But places like Waterloo was number one in the past three years. So a lot more people from Waterloo and Southern Ontario generally are seeking access to care, are seeking these services. And it's making us think, like, why, why this region? Why not Ottawa? Why not, you know, Sudbury or other regions? Why Waterloo and why Hamilton and those regions? And it makes you think about, you know, maybe there's less access in the public system, right? Or maybe the industry there is different. Maybe, the, 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 maybe it's a younger population overall that works in that area. So it's starting to raise raise a lot of important questions and, and um, you know, hypotheses about what's going on. But at the same time, it's helping us to reallocate provincial resources to that region. So if we have a psychologist in Ottawa, they could still support people from Waterloo with virtual care, for example. So we're able to reallocate provincial resources to geographic regions that need it most. And that's allowing us to kind of keeping that, that demand down or, or answering that need as best as we can. Are you able to glean from this tool like the types of services that people need and, and whether or not the psychologists in Ontario, we have enough providing those specific types of services. Can you get that granular? 
Oh yes, we we get uh, we can get extremely granular with this data. So at the, at a high level, I think anxiety, depression, everybody knows those are the biggest ones that people are seeking care of, especially if you're an adult, right? And and PTSD, we have a lot of frontline workers we're supporting. You know, this trauma exposure and so on. These are big ones for adults. For kids, you know, anxiety is there for kids as well as in teens. But we're also seeing things like learning disabilities, those assessments that are needed for uh, school success, for example. So we want to make sure those diagnostic resources available more quickly. So these type of services are being sought for uh, differently by different age groups. So seniors, we often see uh, needs for dementia care and things like uh, mild cognitive impairments. So if they have cognitive disorders or cognitive difficulties or they're afraid they're developing dementia. So we want to be able to provide those neuropsych assessments to help that, 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 that differentiation or that assessment. So we can get extremely granular and we can actually tell you for a fact that if you want to match you know, service demand with available resources, there's there's clearly a um, a gap system wide because you know there the the reality is we don't have enough we don't produce enough clinicians in Ontario to meet this you know this increasing level of demand and it makes us think really hard you know about where should we put those resources because if we keep it up and we don't invest in universities and training programs three four five years the problem is still going to be there but it's only going to get worse right so we have to start using this data intelligently and you know uh, put it where it really matters and it's about training those new clinicians and that could be psychiatrists psychologists social workers right we really have to invest in our training programs okay so where are you in the process you've gathered you you, you have these you've gathered information you have data you are assessing the data and have made i I presume you've drawn some conclusions from the data have you acted on those conclusions or is that for the future no, we, it's, it's dynamic, right? As soon as we get a new piece of information, we, we, one, we, like advocacy is a big part of what we do with government. We can't control funding. We don't control the programs. What we can control is that information. So every, like this infographic that we've sent with you and your team and we've published online, we've shared it with Ontario Health, for example, and the Ontario government and the Ministry of Health. Um, so anytime there's new information, advocacy is, the, you know, the first thing that we do. We want to make sure government's aware about the need um, so they can do something about it, right? So, it, so it's immediate. Um, in parallel, we also also work with, like, you know, in the past three years, we've worked with the Canadian Red Cross. We've worked with uh, Ontario 211, the City of Toronto, the provincial government around different programs. So the data is helping us really um, develop programming and making, you know, uh, easier access to psychological services, right? So we can work with the funders directly to create the, you know, programs. And one of those is uh, a publicly funded program is the frontline uh, healthcare program where, um, you know, our nurses or social workers or anybody on the frontline, if they need psychological support, they can work through the five psychiatric hospitals like CAMH, but we're also in the back end. So if we, if one of those clients needs access to a psychologist, we make that available. So some publicly funded systems are, you know, they're impactful, they're working. We know public funding is is effective. Uh, We just need more of it, particularly those, you know, for for folks who don't have, you know, good extended health benefits or, you know, if they can't pay out of pocket, you know, those individuals need a little bit more support from the government. And this is what we're doing. We're using that information to guide programming, to guide advocacy, to ensure nobody's left behind. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Sildane Roy. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss sound healing on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Alex Petroyama is a local lama, a professional sound healer, and a yogi martial artist with 18 years of practice and 13 years of teaching experience. Based in Toronto and currently teaching full-time at Altea Active in Liberty Village, his academic background as a mental health graduate from the University of Toronto informs his holistic approach to well-being, shaping his teaching philosophy and deep commitment to the transformative power of inner work. Welcome to the show, Alex. How are you? Thank you, Jamie. It's an honor to be here. So I met you and I learned about what you do a bit because you recently taught at OMTO. That's right. And it wasn't just a standard yoga class. There was a lot more going on. There was, there were, you had, you brought some, can we call them musical instruments? Yeah, they were, you know, they were intriguing pieces that added to the practice. Definitely tools and instruments for sure that uh, enhanced the yogic experience. But you do work with them outside of the yoga experience too, right? Because you do sound healing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So so w- what is sound therapy for somebody who doesn't know? Beautiful question, Jamie. So to begin, sound healing is really about a vibrational understanding that this physical world is actually based off of energy. If we look at the subatomic particle, we have an atom. An atom is made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, and this is the building box of all physical matter. Uh, however, the interesting concept of this atomic level is that there's 99% space, that the electron, the proton, the neutron only make up 1% of physical matter, which we then extend out to cells and tissues and organs and muscles, and everything we see. So this is really only 1% of what we're understanding as energy at a base level. And one of my professors, when I asked, I said, you know, we have 46 trillion cells in our body. How many atoms? And he goes, we don't have enough lifetime in this lifetime for me to explain that answer to you. So that's basically the first understanding we have to have the first premise of what is sound healing, because we're working on an energetic level. We're working with that 99% that affects that 1%. And so sound frequency moves through physical matter. We transduct it with our sense organs. There's a transduction uh, valve sort of um, filter. So when sensations come in through the eyes, we transduct it and then it becomes perception. So sound healing is really working from the outer world to the inner world. 
There's so much to speak about, Jamie. I don't know how much time we well, have. Well, we only have we only have eleven and a half minutes, so so we're only going to have to kind of look at the tip of the iceberg, or or, or or hear the tip of the iceberg. Beautiful, it's a, a horrible metaphor. Yeah. Um, how did you come to sound healing? Beautiful question. So you know, obviously, there's a science based background um, from the University of Toronto, but also through what you experience at home, Toronto, uh, and graciously having me as one of your presenters. I started through the yogic journey because when I was in India, doing the practice and sound healing were just coupled together. They were one and the same. So when we were doing our asana, our pranayama, we were always sort of surrounded around mantra and different instruments. And one of those instruments was a sound bowl. So I started with a sound bowl. It was a yin class with sound, um, crystal sound healing. And I found that brought me into such a deeper state with my practice. It was so beautiful that um, upon coming back from India, I came into a studio and immediately started with a bowl. And I started with one bowl, and then one bowl grow, uh, grew into two bowls, and then two bowls grew into a didgeridoo, and a didgeridoo grew into, and then X, Y, Z, and it started to grow, grow, and expand. And each instrument brings its own special flavor, um, its own special power. It's really interesting to ask students at the end of a sound healing, like, which one did you prefer? Which one did you like? Which one did you resonate the most? And you always get different answers from people because, again, depending on what they're going through and where their stagnation or their congestion lies, the sounds have a, a different power of breaking through the body and permeating the heart. It's interesting you use the didgeridoo, which is an Australian instrument, but you know this aesthetic is clearly Indian, right? Yeah, so sound healing is really cross-cultural. So what's really beautiful about it is that it's about the consciousness. So each instrument brings a consciousness. So the didgeridoo was one of the original OGs. They say it's the oldest instrument on the planet. It, it predates the piano, the drum, the sitar. Right. And so what's beautiful about that is I actually started playing didgeridoo as a sound healing tool. I wasn't even using it as a uh, performative tool. I was using it as a pranayama, learning how to circular breathe, uh, Circular breathing is one of the best ways to really get in touch with the practice of yoga again through pranayama because as you're circular breathing, you start to practice, 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 and then you get into this vibe and then you start to have higher states of consciousness because you're going into the deeper realms of oxidization and different feelings in the body. It's incredible. So before it was ever for another, it was for myself, and then it became for others. And people really resonate with the didgeridoo. I have a crystal one that was made out of crystal that can play along with the bulls. It was wow. made in Montreal. Yeah, Canadian-made. It's it's beautiful. So it goes, it goes with the whole kind of affect, and uh, it really is powerful. What can sound therapy help us with? So there's a lot to say about sound therapy. One of the things that I find is, is it really takes the verbiage or the wording and really gives you a, a lexicon of understanding that kind of is a river of silence beneath the words, a river of silence beneath the sounds. There's something magical that goes on in the background. Um, you're not trying to force or fix anything. You're just allowing and accepting. People are listening. So when people listen, uh, they're open. They're very receptive. And I find that, you know, through the ears, we're able to really truly listen, you know, not just hear, but listen. And so um, sound therapy really just kind of bypasses any sort of forcing or fixing. You're just letting people allow and accept the moment to happen. Whatever happens, happens. And it's a beautiful thing. What does happen? Because it just gets them into 
what we call entrainment in science. Uh, in science. So the entrainment, what happens is, is different than entertainment. So entrainment is basically, if I play the drum, and I'm playing my shamanic drum, and I'm playing this drum for 10 minutes, this drum, this beat, this rhythm will actually start to move your rhythm, your brain activity onto what the pattern I'm playing. And this happens with a lot of different instruments that we play in sound healing. And so what happens is, is that your brainwave can be coming in super fast at a beta state. And within 10 minutes, and this is just the science of sound healing, it can move through the alpha state into the theta state. And the theta state is just above delta, which would be unconscious. So you're in a kind of dream world, the meditation world. And if you see it as waves, as ocean waves, imagine a very choppy sea. And within 10 minutes of let's play, let's say playing the drum on the shore, these waves now slow down to a very, very calm level. And that's what we're looking for. Okay. So what sort of healing, what, what, if you're healing somebody, what are you healing them from? Ah, Great question. So basically there's sort of, um, there's different rhythms, so different flows. So if we go on an EEG machine, your brain activity fires at a certain, you know, certain rate, certain activities. So there's a very hyperactivity in our culture because we come not only Toronto being a working class city, it's just in general, we're looking at people who are overstressed. They're, you know, Overpromising, under delivering. There's a lot of stress in our culture. So, what are we healing them from? We're healing from this sort of ramped up, high amplitude sort of brain activity, and we're slowing them down. And so, when we slow down, we kind of get into the pocket. Think of it like surfing, right? If you're constantly stressed about trying to get up on the wave, you're never going to get up on the wave. You kind of have to relax. You're going to have to ease into things. Because if you're nervous, it actually works against you. It's okay to have some nerves, but again, it's like the Goldilocks syndrome in psychology. You know, too much of something, no good. Not enough of something, no good. So you got to be just right. So I think what we're doing is we're harmonizing people. We're bringing them back into balance. Again, this is where it kind of associates with the yoga. Again, it's all about finding that middle point, that pocket, that sweet spot for people. And people have homeostasis. That's the scientific term, homeostasis. So we want to bring them back into homeostasis, bring them back into balance. Okay. You've kind of explained it on some level, mm. but what's actually happening to us as we go from, for example, the alpha waves mm-hmm. to the beta waves mm-hmm. to the theta waves? Like, mm-hmm. what, What's happening? Yeah. So the idea here is entrainment. So the brain is a, a you know, an, a, it's an electro, well, if you include the heart too, it's electromagnetic. So there's a lot of things going on energetically uh, through these systems. Basically, what I always say is if we we can clear the mind, we can open the heart. So again, imagine the analogy of a sea or a lake. If the waves are choppy, if there's fluctuations, if there's waves, you can't see the bottom, can't get to the bottom of things. So again, whether it's therapy or, you know, healing, the whole notion is we want to get to the bottom of things. We want to get to the root causes because these root causes, these seeds are what sprout. So even if we're picking weeds, if we don't get the root, it's just going to grow back. Right. It's going to become a different form. So the idea here with sound healing, with yoga, with combining the two of them together, the whole consciousness of it is that we get to the root cause. And so if we're able to slow down the fluctuations, if we're able to enter from a beta state to an alpha state down to a theta state, then we can see clearly the bottom because the fluctuations cease. And then it's easier for us to understand what's happening, what's in the way, how do we get out of our own way? From that stillness, that silence, that spaciousness, how do we then see through the sounds the peace or the healing that we truly deserve or we're worthy of, the love that we are, uh, the energy that's there, the 99 other percent of ourselves that we may not be experiencing in this material world. So the energy kind of provides us with more opportunity, uh, more reality, more options 
for us to kind of not get pigeonholed, not get stuck in the mundane. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're so welcome, Jamie. Namaste. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Kristen Shiner, Dr. Christine Gibson, Dr. Sylvain Roy, and Alex Petroyama. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The winter issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.